We began it almost two years ago, actually. It was January 2019. And uh, it's been a good ride. We've called it Good News for a Bad News World because it's about the gospel concerning God's Son. That's what Paul said in chapter 1. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified and all that that means for us. And so we've enjoyed going through this letter to the Church of Rome in the first century. And today we come to the end of it. So let's read verses 25 to 27. And then we'll ask for the Lord to... Uh, Open it to us. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. We sang that uh, this morning. We give him all the glory. Now, Lord, show us why? <laughs> why we do that? Why it's right to do that? To ascribe glory to you. And fill our hearts, Lord, for the purpose that you sent this message to us, this good news. Fill our hearts with it again. Show us your glory in it and in Jesus Christ. And send us forth from here, Lord, strengthened, encouraged, expectant of your presence and your goodness and your power in our lives for everything that lies ahead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In some of your Bibles, there is probably a heading over this last three verses of chapter 16. Uh, that's the editors who put that in there. That wasn't original. But the ones who put your, your Bible book together wanted you to know what this paragraph is about and that paragraph. Well, in my Bible, this paragraph says doxology on, on the front of it. Doxology is a word from the Greek doxa, which is glory, and logia, which is saying. So it's a glory saying. It's a way of saying that someone receives glory, should receive glory, should get credit for something should be recognized, should be praised. That's a doxology. That is certainly a good description of this paragraph. It's, it's one long sentence that gives glory to God, beginning with, now to Him, and then ending with, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore. What, what fills Paul's heart and mind at the end of this letter is, is it awe, a reverence, a gratefulness to God. He knows that God must get credit. He must be praised. He must be recognized. And so we can ask, for what? And the answer is, for all that the letter of Romans says about what God has done and how we benefit from it as believers in Jesus Christ. 
That's what he gets credit for and what he's to be honored for and what we get the joy of basking in the goodness of. And we have it all here, This basically the letter of Romans in sort of a summary fashion at the end here. Because in between now to him and to the only wise God is a description that of what the only wise God is able to do, how he does it, and his purpose for doing it. Uh, it and the big word we can put over the whole thing is salvation. It's God rescuing people from their brokenness in a broken world through Jesus Christ. That's the good news for a bad news world. And it's all in here. Little little parts of it are, are stuck into these last three verses to remember what that was all about, what we just spent two years on. So we're invited this morning to join Paul in ascribing glory to God. And I, my hope for the message which was his hope for the church in Rome, is that our hearts would be filled again and again with the good news that leads to praise to God for his salvation. And that's something that we will need to repeat over and over and over again in our lives, as we'll see. This is how we will get through this life and brought safely home to glory in the life to come. So let's dive into the passage the doxology begins with God and what God is able to do. <laughs> and that is this. God is able to strengthen you. God is able to strengthen you. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. We'll stop there. The meaning from the Greek original is that God has the power to firmly fix you in place to give you resiliency, to give you steadfastness, some kind of stability in difficult situations and circumstances. God is able to do it. It reminds me of a famous photo. At least it's famous to me because I've seen it a bunch of places. There's this lighthouse. It looks like it's made out of stone, and it's on a rock, and it's surrounded by water, so it's off the coast somewhere in the world. Uh, this, this lighthouse just, just on a rock and all water all the way around it. And there's this big wave crashing into this thing. See, I'm seeing some heads nod. You've seen this boat, okay? So this wave's crashing into this thing, and the lighthouse is sort of splitting it, and the wave's going way over but on both sides. And then you look at the backside of this lighthouse, and in the gap between the big waves crashing around is this man standing there. And he's unperturbed at this enormous uh, wave, this, this massive force that could snuff his life out if he was in the wrong place. But he's in, this, he's in this place, and he's okay, right? That's a picture of what God is able to do. To make you like that person who is, is steadfast, secure, stable, in a world where all these powerful things are happening all around you, and they have the, the, the possibility of wiping you out, and yet you can stand there because you're being strengthened. Doesn't that sound like something that you want? <laughs> Especially in the year 2020, right? <laughs> because what is, what is one of the things that marks this year? It's instability. 
if anything. That, that's a word we could use for this word this year. We're, we're constantly off balance. Uh, what COVID risk level are we at now? You know, are we in red? Are we in purple? Are we in yellow? And then what goes along with that again? What am I supposed to do and not do? I mean, every week it's different. We, am I going to have a job in six months? I mean, like, how long can the economy go on borrowed money? You know, there's, there's instability there. We've got a transition in our country's leadership. How is that going to affect me? What's that going to look like? You know, we're being blown all over the place. On top of that, you have the normal stresses of life, parenting, uh, education, workplace stress, relationships with other people, physical illness and injury, and eventually the death and dying process. You've got all of that. The waves keep coming. Wouldn't it be nice to be strengthened for all of that? (laughs) Well, God can do it. God is able to make you stable, secure, unperturbed. (laughs) Well, how is he able to do it, though? He says he's able to strengthen you. Well, here's how he does it. God strengthens us through the gospel. He strengthens us through the gospel. Then verse 25, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is how you're going to get there. (laughs) According to the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done to rescue people from who live in this difficult, broken world. This preaching of Jesus Christ contains information. More than that, it contains power to steady you. Back in chapter 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God. It is able to save, it is able to strengthen. So what is this gospel that is able to do that? What is this preaching of Jesus Christ that can strengthen us? Paul calls it my gospel, not because he came up with it, but because he owns it as his article of faith. And it is what he is going around telling everybody and writing to the Romans about and now to us. So let's briefly review Paul's gospel, which is Jesus' gospel, which is the Bible's gospel. Let's just review what we've been studying over the last two years. It starts with what's wrong with the world. You've got to start there. There can't be good news unless there's bad news to get you out of it. Well, what's wrong with the world, according to Romans 1 through 3, is human sin. Romans 1.21 puts it this way, For although they knew God, that's speaking of all of us, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You might think that what's wrong with the world is what we can see, what's in the news, or what you've personally experienced. So dishonesty, People swiping your packages off your porch that you just ordered on Amazon, which happened to us. <laughs> we'll get them back. Don't worry. I mean, they'll send you another one. 
But that stuff's going around, right? Dishonesty, injustice, the strong preying on the weak, racism, corporate greed, and a lot of other things that we can give names to. And we can look at all that and we see that in the news. We experience that and we say, that's what's wrong with the world. And yes, it is. But that isn't the fundamental problem with the world. Romans says those are only symptoms of a deeper problem, which is that we know God exists, but we won't honor Him as God. We will reject the one who created us and all things, and so we become futile in our thinking, and our foolish hearts are darkened. That's what's wrong with the world. Human sin. Us rejecting God. And that is what leads to all the other problems. And so the only way to fix what's wrong with the world is to fix that root problem of human sin, of rejecting God. And that's a problem that we can't solve ourselves. Because Romans 6.17 says that we are slaves to sin. And Romans 8.7 says the mind that is set on the flesh, which is a way of describing someone who's not a believer, that mind is hostile to God and cannot submit to God's law. Can't do it. Can't obey Him. Slaves to sin can't obey God. We're each one of us in a trap of our own making. And the consequence is not just a broken world, but it's death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Sin is why we die physically, but there's also a second death, which is God's eternal judgment. It is His wrath. It's what we deserve for rejecting Him. That's a situation that only God can change because we're slaves. We can't do it. We can't obey Him. And this is where the gospel comes in. (laughs) Because the gospel, the good news is that God Himself comes to save us in the person of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Christmas is to be celebrated for. (laughs) And we'll do it next Sunday. We're doing it now. But Romans 3.24 and and 25 says, We are justified. Here comes the good news. We are justified, meaning declared righteous, no longer counted as sinners, but counted as fully compliant with all of God's will for our lives, as if we had never done anything wrong. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So Jesus comes as God the Son in human flesh to propitiate God, meaning to make Him favorable to us, to remove His wrath from us. He comes to do that. How does he do it? By his blood, by dying on the cross, taking the blame for our sins and taking the punishment for those sins on himself and in our place. So he gets the punishment and we get justified. And that status of righteousness before God is received the moment we put our faith in Jesus as our sin bearer, the one who died in our place. 
we receive justification. And we don't get it by doing good things. We don't do it, we don't get there by keeping the law. Even God's law won't get you there. It has to be received by faith. That's what makes it the gift. Because you don't earn it, and you don't deserve it, and you couldn't have forced him to do it. It had to be freely given. No strings attached, no obligations. And that's what God does. And that secures for us eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 It's life that begins immediately. It's not just out there somewhere. It begins immediately by receiving God the Holy Spirit into our lives when we put our faith in Jesus. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So when you believe in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. He regenerates you. He makes you a new person. He comes to live within you. God comes to take up residence in your house, which is this earthly dwelling. <laughs> and that's when eternal life starts in, in foretastes right now, little glimpses of it, experiences of God. But it goes on forever. It's a line that never ends. And it only gets better once you shuffle off this mortal coil, as Shakespeare put it. And you put on the immortal, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It just goes on and it just gets better. Because it's gift, God being gracious to sinners. And the Spirit gives us freedom, helps us break free from all the sins that used to enslave us. That's also how he gives life to our mortal bodies, even now. This is our rescue. This is our salvation. And God gets all the credit for it, first to last. Because people who are slaves of sin and unable to submit to God's law aren't even able to obey the one command that's necessary to receive the gift which is to obey, which is to believe. We can't even do that one. <laughs> we can't believe. He has to give belief to us also, which is what he does in Romans 8.30. He says, those who he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Predestined means a destiny was assigned in advance. Before you were born, God gave you a destiny which was to be justified, which was to be glorified eventually in this immortal body. He said, they're all guilty. They're all captives of, in their own trap. I don't have to free anybody, but I'm going to. I'm going to choose this one and that one and that one. I'm going to give them a gift. And I'm going to glorify them. God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. The only thing we contribute to it is our need for it. This is the gospel 
according to Romans and according to the Bible. And if you really get this truth in your bones, if you, if you really own this as your gospel, you can say, this is my gospel. <laughs> Not that I made it, but it, it's mine now. It belongs to me. I, this is my story now. If you, can, if you can know that, enter into that, well, then that's going to give you some strength. This is where strength comes from every day. He is able to strengthen you according to this gospel. So we're going to need some examples. Like, so how does that actually work out? How does that play out in my life? Well, let's start with condemnation. Okay, condemnation is something that I think we often will feel when we sin. I certainly struggled with it for years. Um, Remember, Paul is talking to the church here. He's writing this to a Christian church, right? And so this gospel is as much for believers as it is for non-believers. This isn't only how you get saved, though it is that. It's also how you get strengthened day by day. And so we're going to need this day after day. And one of the things that can happen is when you get saved is you become even more aware of your sin. Before, you didn't know it was there. You wouldn't even have called it that. But on the other side, when you're joined to Christ, it's like, oh my goodness, wow, I didn't know that was wrong, and that, and oh boy, and and that never goes away because you just start to see even the deeper and deeper layers of it the more you get closer to God. (laughs) The more you get closer to holiness, the more you say like Isaiah, woe is me, I am ruined, right? Because all of a sudden, the, the light is on everything. Well, here's one of the things that can happen when that happens is you can start to feel condemned. The more sin you see in yourself, the more you can start to feel this weight. You, you can start to think, I am a terrible person. I keep failing and I need to do better. Oh, that's the part. <laughs> and there's no joy in that. Just this constant awareness that you don't measure up to God's standards. Conviction is right. God's showing you that you don't meet His standards, but condemnation is wrong because that's this ongoing misery in it and forgetting the gospel. And that was me going into the pastor's college in 2002. I'd been a Christian for 22 years when I went to the pastor's college. And I remember telling somebody before I went there, I feel like a walking billboard of sin. That's just so obvious to me. It's got to be obvious to everybody else. And that's just who I am now. That's just who I am. I just fall short. And there was misery. And then I heard Jerry Bridges teach on God's grace from Romans 3 and 4. (laughs) And he drew attention to Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. (laughs) And I learned that even though I sin and fall short of God's standards, he doesn't count it against me because he counted it against me. Christ, and he is satisfied. (laughs) 
My lawless deeds are forgiven. My sins are covered. I don't need to do better in order to be forgiven because Jesus did perfectly, and that righteousness is now mine through faith. And so stop trying to do better in order to get rid of your conscience issues. Go to the cross to get rid of your bad conscience. (laughs) And remember that there is where I was forgiven. There is where God was satisfied with me. That is what it looks like to be strengthened by grace, to be strengthened by the gospel. Because I came out of the pastor's college a different person. My kids will tell you I was a better dad. I wasn't so angry all the time. I wasn't so frustrated with every single thing. I could actually laugh. I could could have joy. (laughs) That gave me motivation to be a pastor. It's the only thing that keeps me a pastor. Because that's one of the problems about preaching is that you have to be a public sinner. (laughs) So not only do you know it, but so does everybody else. And so... You, the only thing that's going to keep you in that is you've got to know God loves you and you're okay. <laughs> that's where strength comes from. Let's take another one. What about somebody who feels trapped in sin? You know, like, I, I'm doing stuff. I know it's wrong. I don't want to do it. Um, but I just can't seem to get anywhere. What about that? The gospel has strength for that. In Romans 6 and 7, Romans 6.11 is a turning point. Paul says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what's true for the believer in Jesus is that sin's power to enslave you is broken. You're dead to sin's power and to sin's penalty. It doesn't have mastery. It doesn't have dominion over you anymore. You might feel like it does, but that isn't living in the reality. The reality is Christ broke the power of canceled sin, which is one of the other hymns that we sing sometimes. You are alive to God now. You have the Holy Spirit. You have new desires. That's why you don't like the sin anymore. Now you want to do what's right. And guess what? You have the Holy Spirit, so you can. Oh, boy. It's telling ourselves our actual condition is the start of breaking free from sins. Who are you really? I am not that person who's a slave to sin anymore. I'm, I'm dead. That person's dead. This new person is alive. This new person who has Jesus Christ living within by the Spirit. This person who is accepted and loved by God. This person who is growing in holiness because the Holy Spirit is within me. That's gospel talk. That's strengthening. That helps you to say no to the next sin. We're not going to be completely sinless ever in this life, but we can say no to the next sin because God has broken its power. Let's take the example of fear. This will be my last example. Lots of things that we fear, right? We fear anything that we feel is going to harm us, anything that's going to take away our happiness. Temptation there. The gospel speaks to fear. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The answer to our fears is to know that we have an almighty Father who has adopted us as His children. 
And you know what adopted parents do, or parents who adopt kids do, right? What do they do with those kids? They take care of them, right? <laughs> they love those kids. They say, you know, out of all the people in the world, I've chosen you, and you will be mine, and I am not going to just forget about you. No, now, now you have my attention. Now, now I've taken you on as my responsibility, and I'm going to love you. And obviously, we do it all imperfectly, right? But there's a perfect father who does it perfectly, who will never leave us or forsake us, who understands that we are but dust from Psalm 103, who has compassion, and he's wise. And so he knows exactly what we need. He knows what he has to keep away from us, and he knows what to allow into our lives. And all of it is according to a loving purpose. And he's omnipotent. <laughs> what a great kind of father to have. <laughs> one that can actually do everything. <laughs> and that one says, I'm your father. The spirit within us says, you're my father, Abba Father. And that puts away fear. Okay, so that means whatever's going to happen to me today, tomorrow, from the election, whatever, from COVID, I have a father. And he's on site. And he'll take care of what concerns me so I can live with that. This is how we get strengthened, according to the gospel. So we can say in the midst of our trials what Paul said about his trials in Romans 8.37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is how you get strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow quote another hymn. The good news is what gets us through the bad news of this world. This is how God strengthens us day by day. This is why we preach the gospel week after week. From whatever passage of scripture that we're in, I mean, this isn't it. I mean, we're not done with the gospel because we're done with Romans, right? The whole Bible is full of this. <laughs> All of it's pointing to Jesus that's, that's what Paul says in verses 25 and 26. He calls it the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. That's a way of saying the good news about Jesus Christ was always there, even in the Old Testament. It was there in the prophetic writings, it was there in promises, it was there in hints about what God was going to do to save people, but now we know what it's pointing to. It was pointing to Jesus Christ as the Savior for all who look to Him in faith. Now it's disclosed, and this message is getting preached to all nations. So faithful preaching is the preaching of Jesus Christ, no matter where you're preaching it from. In the scripture, because there's one story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and Jesus is the hero. <laughs> That's why we don't preach a political message every Sunday. It's why we don't preach a prosperity message. It's why we don't preach a message about righteousness by good behavior. Because there's no salvation in those things. There's no strengthening in those things. 
None of those can save you. You'll be an empty shell at the end of your life if your hope goes in any of those directions. What we need is a preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the rock on which we find strength in the storms of life. Let's ask another question. To what end does God strengthen us? Like, what's he after? (laughs) What does he want out of this, to put it that way? Why all this grace? Why, why this strengthening? Here's the answer. God strengthens us to bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. The end of verse 26 says that this disclosed mystery, this gospel, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. This, this is his doing. I command that there be preaching of Jesus Christ to all nations. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith. We've seen that term before in this letter. One other time. And it was in the very beginning. In Romans 1 verse 5. Paul said, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So that was what his... He was tipping his hat. Here's what this letter is going to be about. (laughs) You know, it's going to be about Jesus and the gospel, and it's going to be about this preaching that will bring about the obedience of faith to all the nations. So what is that thing then? What is the obedience of faith? Well, there's two main ideas about what that might be. One is that faith is the obedience that God wants to bring about through preaching through gospel communication. And there's support for that in Romans 10, 16, where he says of many that they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. It's to have faith in Jesus as Savior. So maybe that's what the obedience of faith is. Another view is that the obedience of faith means it's the obedience that faith produces. It springs out of it. It's sinning less and doing God's will more. That's God's stated purpose in Romans 8.29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What God wants is not just forgiven people who remain the same. He wants forgiven people who become like his son so that they're all these little sort of like reflections of the real thing, (laughs) you know? They're like these little copies of the the original (laughs) And, and, and Savior himself. That's what he wants. He wants him to be the firstborn among brothers. He wants him to be preeminent and all these other people that are becoming like him, which gives glory to him. We all want to be like you, Jesus, because you're the perfect one. That's what God wants. He wants us to be conformed to his son. He wants his son to receive glory, do his name, and he gets it as we become more and more like his son in our character, in our thinking, in our actions. And that is a change that will happen as a person is strengthened by faith in the gospel. 
Because introduced Romans 12 through 14 and 15, all these commands that are in there, all this here's how you live stuff, it's all introduced by Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. How, how, do, you, how do you do all these Romans 12 through 15 commands? How do you live that way? You do it by the mercies of God. You, you do it by going back to the gospel. Oh yeah, I'm freed up, so now I, I can do all this because I want to, not because I have to, that kind of thing. Now I have the Spirit. I can actually do these things. Uh, that, that's how we do it. So there's an obedience that does spring from faith. Romans teaches that. So which one is it? Which one does Paul say it is here in Romans at the end? What is the obedience of faith? Is it faith itself, or is it the obedience that comes from faith? And I don't think you need to separate friends. <laughs> They're both true. They're both taught in Romans. God's goal for strengthening us through gospel is that you believe the gospel for conversion and that you keep on believing it for daily obedience. He wants to make you like his son. And that comes through faith that gets you into the kingdom and faith that gives you strength in the kingdom. All because of his mercy. So you see, the gospel does something that God's commands don't even do by themselves. All the do's and don'ts. The gospel can do something the commands can't do, which is produce change in your life, which can make you like Jesus in your character, in your actions. In chapter 7, Paul compared the situation of the Christian before and after conversion this way. He said, Before conversion, you were like stuck in a bad marriage where your husband, the law, always told you what you had to do, but he never did anything to help you with it. But after conversion, you died to that marriage, and now you are joined to a new husband, Jesus Christ, and this husband makes you bear fruit for God. He makes you into a person who sins less and is more like Christ. He takes away the, the threat of the law, and he makes it a beautiful thing that you want to do, and he gives you the Spirit so that you can do it. The best life that you and I could possibly lead is a life that is obedient to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we were made for. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2.10 Walking with God in Christ and doing his will is when we are more, most fully human, when we are most realigned with our purposes in this world, the purpose he created us for. And so... We do that, we obey out of faith, we change, God changing us, and we do it in hope of the world to come, which is guaranteed us in Romans 8, 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What a sentence. <laughs> What is that? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is waiting for the moment that it can see that. He's like personifying the world. The world is like waited, baited, braided breath. What, what, what is the freedom of the glory of the children of God? When are we going to see that? 
And Paul says, you're going to see it. It's going to happen. That's, that's where God's final destination for you is. He wants you to be like Christ in a world that is perfect and can't be broken ever again. And you will be with the one face to face forever, the perfect one. That's where he wants it. That's where it's all going. In that world, there's going to be nothing but obedience. It's going to be glad obedience. And who would ever want to sin? We won't be able to. There's glory waiting for us. So what a story that God has done here. What a salvation. We were slaves to sin. We've been rescued from God's judgment by God himself. Who took on human flesh and died on the cross bearing our penalty. We're not only forgiven, but we're adopted as children. Bound for glory in a world set free from all that's wrong with it right now. That's our salvation. And that's what God is to be praised for. So the only appropriate way is to respond to that, this story, with praise, with doxology. And that's what we're going to close with. Verse 27, Paul picks up the thought that he started in 25. To him, that is the one who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and all that, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. As he completes this sentence and this letter, he, clo- he chooses these words, only and wise, to describe God. That harkens back to the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? <laughs> that was said of, of the content of 1 through 11, but now here it applies to the whole letter. God stands alone as the only one who could ever conceive of, much less accomplish, a salvation that takes rebellious slaves of sin and turns them into forgiven, adored, and adopted sons and daughters who delight to do his will. No one but God in the person of Jesus Christ has the capacity and the purity to take on himself the burden and the punishment for millions upon millions of sins that we commit. None but God the Son has the authority to lay down his life and the authority to take it up again, paying our debt and securing our resurrection. None but God could love his enemies like that, paying the highest price for people who deserve the greatest condemnation. But that is the God that we have. And so with Paul, we must ascribe glory to the only wise God. And it must be through Jesus Christ, because Christ and Him crucified is the center of the good news. God gets the recognition, the credit, and the praise for doing what we could not do ourselves, which is save us from our sins. It's so important to know that because only humbled and grateful people can really praise God from the heart. 
as long as we carry sort of a sense that it's just so unfair, being a Christian is worse than not being a Christian, you know, nothing good happens to me, you know, and we go on and on like that, right? That you can't praise God for whom, from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> you don't feel like it's true. Or you feel like, I deserve better. And you don't, forget, you don't remember Romans 1 through 3. No, you don't. I don't. <laughs> we have to be humbled and aware of what mercies we've received. Then, okay, <laughs> yes, this life is tough, no doubt about it, full of trouble. But I've got glory waiting for me, and I've got you with me now, and everything is coming through your permission, so there's got to be purpose. Okay, I can live with that. I can go forward, and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to say what's true instead of what I'm feeling like right now. I'm going to consider the realities. So what do we do to, forgive, to be forgiven our sins and made right with God? We believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What do we do to be strengthened for each day's challenges? We believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. <laughs> always a beeline to the cross. Always a sighting of the cross. Every day, every day, today and tomorrow, because tomorrow you're going to have new problems and you're going to have to have the same hope. I'm getting a serious echo here, but <laughs> why not? Let's hear it twice. So let's close by saying with Paul, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Sustain us with this, Lord. When we walk out the door, when we do the next thing from home, whatever, immediately the devil wants to pounce on us and steal away the seed that's been sown. So keep it in our hearts and strengthen us with it and make us, according to your purpose, more and more conformed to the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and give us the hope of glory ever more clear in our minds and certain in our, in our desires. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thoughts about the wisdom, the only wise God who devised a plan where all our sin and pride was placed upon the perfect lamb who suffered, bled, and died. Let's sing those words.